Folks, I wanted to uh, begin the conversation tonight on the topic of discipleship. You know, we're um, we're in a, th- a four-week series, Love God, Love People, Make Disciples, Make a Difference. And uh, I regret that Pastor isn't able to be uh, part of the conversation tonight because this was something that he likes to do every August is to to revisit the, the, the topic of love God and love people, make disciples, make a difference. And so things have been a little off kilter for the last couple of weeks. I think it's, I think we can all own that and uh, understand the reasons why. Last week, Brian Smith talked about love people and pastor had selected a challenging text. And we took a look at that one as we prepared for Sunday and for tonight, I'd like to have that sort of same flavor where uh, we we take up the question of what it means to make disciples. And I'll give you a little preview of the sermon that I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. And we can just uh, make our way through it together. Feel free to chime in as we go. I would begin by asking you what the word discipleship means. I think there's some stereotypes out there, and I want to deal with them right away. Making followers of Christ. Making followers. All right. Well, I mean, off the top of my head, I just have to think that it's the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from them to become more like them. For the Christian, this refers to the process of learning the teachings of Jesus and following after his example and obedient. All this off the top of my head, of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit. What? And, awful. And this is the problem with having that chatbot AI available on your on your desktop. <laughs> this now. is my Logos Bible software that I paid a lot of money for. Can well, far compare? less academic, I'd say perhaps to walk along with. Mm. And that could be Jesus or a mentor or, well, I guess a mentor might be mentorship, but something along those lines. I am not nearly as academic as the doctor. <laughs> condense that into five words for us mr Gar- dr gary it's to walk alongside of okay just off the top of my that's head that's a good one yeah well i, like I totally that. just stole it from nicola but <laughs> well she's a smart lady you were smart to- no we're on to something let's keep going what 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 say you what what is discipleship what does it look like how's it work that was too many questions Give me some other definitions of discipleship. I heard it's to sit at the feet under, to sit under the feet of, uh, I mean, to, to learn from, uh, to be a student of. All right, online audience. To make other people to go out and spread the word. If I could restate that, maybe equipping others. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Thank you. That sounds a lot better. So what do we have down there so far? To make followers of Jesus, to walk alongside with someone. I like that. To (laughs) sit at the feet of. And equipping others, and then you added to spread the word. Which got so
Anyone else? You know, in the song Sunday, there were two sentences that really, and I can't remember which it was. I think it was an anthem, but it said, let me serve with God, Jesus' hands and see with Jesus' eyes. And all week I thought, am I seeing everything the way Jesus' eyes would see them? And I'm wasn't probably. Mm -hmm. All right. So so let me let me let me kind of take us to the first what I call the first move here tonight. In the New Testament, can you think of some discipling relationships and how did they work? Oh, okay. Paul with Timothy. Paul with Timothy yes. is the gold standard. Yes. 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 And do you does anybody remember who taught Paul early on? Jesus on the road to Damascus, but then he was went away. Who was it, Bill? Gamaliel. 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 Yeah. Gamaliel did his old his rabbinical training. Yeah, he was from the school of. But don't overthink it. There's actually somebody quite familiar to you who gave Paul some of his initial instruction. Barnabas. It was Barnabas. Well, if you read Galatians, I think it may be chapter maybe one or three, you get the impression that Jesus taught Paul for like a period of three years. And I mean, it, it, it's there. You got to look for it, but it's right there. And I keep going back to see that can't possibly be what that's saying. But I read so many commentaries saying that that's exactly what was going on. I would feel better with the phrasing, the spirit taught Paul. Oh, okay. Yes. But the idea that Jesus, who is supposed to be seated at the hand of the Father and interceding for us, Could giving be. Paul private lessons, doesn't doesn't feel quite right to no, me. You're gonna look. You're gonna look that one up. But yeah, like, what is your little AI machine? I was teasing him about that. He just has a Bible software package called Logos. I have the same one. Gary typed in a definition real quick. I just looked it up in the fact book. The fact book <laughs> discipleship and. Is the first sentence that popped up off the top of my head. We're not really that smart. We <laughs> yeah. just have good software. <laughs> we just have expensive software that gives us lots of answers. That's what it is. Um, Bill, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, there's something I want us to see here. It's, it's actually that it was, I mean, Paul had his Damascus Road experience, right? Just a full-on interdict, like, Face to face with Christ, right? Just yeah, yeah. He, if there'd been a woodshed, he'd have been in it, right? <laughs> and 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 then you know, Paul goes through his recovery process, and then one of the first people that begins to work with him on sort of an understanding of the way. They didn't even call it being a Christian yet, because that that word hadn't been invented, but it was called a follower of the way. And Barnabas begins to give Paul some of the initial instruction. And I would say that Paul was a prodigy and he already had all of the Old Testament foundation mm -hmm. because he was a rabbi. And so all he had to do was connect some dots. So Paul was uniquely positioned to get it and get up to speed and understand sort of what this was all about. But it was Barnabas and then it was Paul and then it was Timothy. If you want to just pick, pick one little chain, right? Mm -hmm. And what I wanted us to get from that is that there's always somebody ahead of you on the road uh, of discipleship. 
there's always somebody behind you on the road of discipleship. And your job is to invite your spiritual elders into your life for advice, correction, counsel, encouragement. And you need to be turning around and repeating that to somebody who is behind you on the road of discipleship. And I'm going to give you a preview for Sunday. I'm going to ask everybody to take out a sheet of paper and list two names of people who are ahead of you on the road, who are speaking into your life, and who you allow to speak into your life. And two people behind you who need your counsel, your advice, your encouragement, your wisdom, your affection. Wow, that's a hard assignment. It is. And to come up with it quickly, it I'm glad you gave me a preview. Yeah, and if everybody walks out of there with one name on the piece of paper and nothing else, I did my job because they're going to walk out of there going, I got some blanks. I've got to get some work to do here. Yeah, and, and after I got done writing it, I said, Who are mine? And I had to kind of go, Alan Jackson and David Donahue are the two pastors that identified. Mm-hmm an early calling Mm -hmm. in me and helped cultivate Mm -hmm. it that said, Mm -hmm. you have something to offer. You have something of value. And I want, I want to help you realize that, you know, for Alan Jackson to let a newbie take his pulpit one Sunday is actually a tremendous risk. What gets up there and does something ridiculous, right? And, and one of like, one of our little secrets is that Alan came over to my house, um, on the Thursday before I preached. The first time? The first time here okay. at DVC. Okay. Called me up and said, hey, I'm going to swing by your house. And uh, <laughs> we're going to go for a walk. And I said, all right. <laughs> so I start walking. He said, preach. We're just walking through the neighborhood. Oh my and I said, well, goodness. I don't have my notes. And he goes, then definitely not ready to preach. Is <laughs> If it's not in here, if, 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 if the Spirit has not given you a word and it's already in here, and I, I was, you know, I was, I was actually very stressed out. You know, like Alan's like walking with the pastor and I'm going to preach on his pulpit. And he's like grilling me. And I was like, oh, gosh. And, I, and, and he's like, no, what, what's your text? So I can tell him the text. And he goes, in a sentence, what is it about? I gave him that. And then he goes, why do we care? So I kind of think about that. I answered that question. And he goes, have you answered that question in the sermon? Yeah. Okay, good. So you know what it's about. You know what the sermon in a sentence is. Tell me what you've written so far. And then I kind of relaxed a little bit and just start. I don't think in this and I need to talk about this and and I want to go from here to here and I want to add this thought. And and as we walked along, you went, okay, I don't know if that fits. That's a little clunky. Work on that a little bit. But, But without realizing it over the span of maybe a half hour walk, probably walked about two or three miles all around the branches, you know. Um, by the time we were done, I had I had given him everything that I had sort of thought and felt and read, and then he was able to go, okay, you know, w- when the runways in sight land the plane, don't circle around for a while, you know, bring it in, make it clear, land the plane. It. And, um, but that, that was a significant discipleship moment in my journey as pastor that Alan, I mean, this is seven years ago, eight years ago. 
came over to my house and said, I'm going to let you preach on my pulpit, but I need to know what you're going to do before <laughs> I get up there. And we went for a walk. And I look back and I go, was that, that wasn't, I brought the word. It, it wasn't, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't polished, but it was authentic. And that's what he cared about. And the fact that he continued to give me opportunities to preach um, allowed me to build that skill, you know, to the point where now I don't, I'm not afraid of the next time I'm preaching, which I certainly was a couple of years ago. Like, you know, I'm all stressed and anxious about what I've got. Now I'm like, no, I've got something the church needs to hear. And I don't think of it as I need to speak to those people. I need to speak to my people. So when I get up there, it's, and that's, that's an example from my life. And I probably won't spend a lot of time on that, but for me, that's what it looked like. And so my question to you all is who are your, who are the two ahead of you? And who are the two behind you? And don't answer, don't answer that if you don't want to, but I want you to, that's the question for Sunday. And I'm going to ask, but they got a piece of paper and pencil. Let's, let's write down some names. But you're talking about currently or in the past, or it could be either one. Because when you first said the question, my mind was going to, who was the per first person? Who can I remember got me on my faith journey? That That's where my mind went when you asked so the question. So that was a discipling relationship. Is it still a discipling yeah, okay. relationship? So I want to know about the current one. Okay, thank you. I want to know about the current discipling That's not where my mind went, so okay. What? What I heard in a lot of that was the the word that jumped out was being authentic. Um, mm. That it was connected to your faith and belief. And it wasn't about being profound and smart and being able to, I don't, you know, do all the seminary stuff. I, not, not the seminary stuff is great. Don't get me wrong, but but did it come from your heart and from your belief? And those are the people that I that I listen to. I've certainly listened to people who have all those other things, and it for for me, it's it's a performance, and mm -hmm. rather than being rather than being led in discipleship. Um, and when people talk about their own struggles and their, their own humanness, that's, and of course, Paul did that a lot. Um, that's what I feel like I know I can relate to. And I've heard other people talk about being able to, to relate to somebody who talks about their failures, their their toe stubbers. Toe stubbers, I like that. Any other comments before we move on? I got something I want to show you. Okay, we're ready. Are you ready? Ready. I mentioned the text that I'm going to use and Brian Smith's comment was, man, you're taking a deep cut. You know, that's the, remember that, that word to, to discuss, a, to describe a, a music track that hasn't been heard in a long time. We're going to Exodus 18. And nobody thought that's what I was going to say. 
What's up, Gary? Who knows what's up? Yes. Exodus 18. That's in the Old Testament, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's like in the first time. I love first the Old Testament. Uh, I'm looking at verse 18 already. Exodus chapter 18. Verse 18. I'm going to start reading the text and um, invite you to just follow along. We're going to read um, all the way down to, um, actually going to read most of the chapter, if you'll just bear with me. And then I want to go back and I want to mark some moments where discipleship occurred in this passage. So as I'm reading, keep your finger in there, keep your pen ready, and just tick off some spots where you see discipleship happening as I'm reading. Okay? Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and his people in Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he'd sent her back along with her two sons, one of whom was named Gershom because Moses had said, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, and the other was Eliezer because he'd said, the God of my father is my helper and deliverer from Pharaoh's sword. So you got... Uh, Jethro, Jethro's daughter Zipporah, and, and the two little fellas, right? Moses' father-in-law Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness when he was camped at the mountain of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her sons. And so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And then they asked each other how they had been, and they went into the tent. Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done and the Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had confronted them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from Pharaoh and the power of the Egyptians and snatched the people from the power of the Egyptians. And now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything that, was, that he was doing for them, he asked, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as a judge while all the people stand around from morning until evening? Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. What you're doing is not good, Moses, the father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. The task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me. I'm going to give you some advice, and God will be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. 
instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able, excuse me, verse 21, but you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating bribes. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every important case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, you'll be able to endure, and all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. Then Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, and he journeyed to his own land. Love this text. And I'm the executive pastor. This whole business about dividing it up and you got thousands and fifties and tens. And that that's that's my love language right there. I'm like, get yourself get yourselves organized, take care of your business. Don't bother the pastor with the big stuff, with the petty stuff. I mean petty stuff. discipleship. Sorry, go ahead, Sylvan. No, I, I was just agreeing with you because you know, of the teaching of the father-in-law, then Moses, you know, was the teacher actor. Yeah. I was just agreeing with you. I did, I, I did the studies because I've been doing precepts since 2014. So we did, you know, all the five and then we're doing other books now. So yeah, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. I love this one. But the question was, what discipleship did you see evident in the passage? Jethro, the father-in-law to Moses, and Moses yeah. down to the people. Yeah. Yep. We got the model. But in the so. beginning, in verse 8, Moses is the one that inspires his father-in-law. He tells him all the things that God's done, and Jethro rejoices. So it seems like a back and forth thing to me. I'm wrong. I can tell you're, you're not, trying to come up with an answer for you're me. You're not. And I want to go back to something Nicoa said because she hit she hit one of the big ideas okay. right right at the beginning. Look at verse seven. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. I'm glad we don't have that tradition with our <laughs> father-in-laws anymore because that'd be weird. Nobody would like that. But, but it's this next sentence. They asked each other how they had been, and they went into the tent. And I, they haven't seen each other in years. I, I have to believe that it, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they are happy to see each other. It's, they're asking after each other's welfare and health, and how was the journey, and did the boys, you know, what are the boys up to, and boy, they're getting bigger. And is, so, so here's my question. Is that discipleship? I'm asking. Yes. So. How so? Fellowship and discipleship. I think so. But you have to form a bond before you can disciple anybody. Right. 
And Nicoa said or early on, I, I, I circled it in my notes to walk alongside with. And it's not just mentor mentee. There's um there's a there's a reciprocal kind of give and take as you do this experience together. Um and and follow with me now. I'm down in verse eight. Moses then recounted to his father-in-law all the Lord had done to the Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and the hardships that confronted them and how the Lord delivered them. And listen to this in verse 9. This is powerful. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. So Moses, Jethro, Jethro says, catch me up. Tell me, how did two million of you end up in the desert? Oh, yeah. Right? Where have you been? You left yeah. my wife and kids. Yeah, last we talked, you were a prince of Egypt. You know, catch. But Some stuff it, has happened in the meantime, right? But what I love the fact that Moses didn't say, "Well, I had all these people out there, and I, 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 I did that, and I went up and I prayed to God, so God sent us manna, and I." You know, he gives credit where credit is due. So to me, I saw that as discipleship to his father because his, then his father-in-law comes back and rejoices about what God did. He's not saying, well done, my son-in-law. Am I? No, I think, you're, I think you're right. And yet I still think that Moses is leading two million people. Yeah. Um, and that he is responsible and he is overseeing and he's the one that God has chosen. But yet Jethro is still his father-in-law. And I, th the text doesn't say this. This is what I think. I think Jethro offered some encouragement and some appreciation and some acknowledgement that Moses is carrying a heavy load. Well, in fact, yeah. he, he does that later in the passage. But one of the most significant things that an older man can do for a younger man, particularly Bill, your age to somebody that's in their thirties or forties is to say, you're doing a good job uh, and I'm proud of you. Like, like a younger man desperately needs that. And, and when you say to a younger man, uh, you, you're doing good, I'm proud of you. I see what you've accomplished. And I, I know that you are working hard. There's something that cannot be, there's something that you do to a younger man when you speak life that cannot be done in any other way. It can't come from mama. It can't come from grandma. It has, what I'm describing has to come from an older man. Um, in kind of the same way, you mothers, when there's a young mom that's like, I'm postpartum and this is going wrong and this is no good and I'm really mad about this and here's all the stuff that I'm working through, a man can't speak encouragement into that situation. But an older woman who's walked that road can. And what I wanted to get out of the conversation tonight is that that's, in my mind, that's what, that's what the journey of discipleship looks like. And, and yes, there's an equipping and preparing and training and and setting up for you know spiritual growth. We even have a discipleship pastor, and that's his function. But but discipling life on life to walk alongside to guide somebody who's not as far along in the journey, and then to turn around and to speak life into a person that's behind you and running through some of the same mud puddles and 
banging their shin and stubbing their toe the same way you did and to say, I, it's okay. I think, I think that's some of the most important work the church does. I like that. Come on, Sylvan. What you got? You're muted. Sylvan, you're muted. We can't hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, I was saying I am really thrilled about this type of conversation because part of my prayer has been that we need to bridge the gap between generations. The older teach the younger and then and then the younger start teaching. So it's handed down. So I'm really thrilled of, of you know, the conversation tonight. Yeah because that that has been my prayer. I do this with my family annually. I have a inspirational some dinner or something and so that because not, I'm the eldest of five, but nonetheless, I ha I've also done that with um, um, girls with girls club. but I really think that, that's the one of the problems today is we don't have um the older speaking into the younger and vice versa they listening and gleaning so i'm glad for this conversation thank you for that uh, uh, alan, apart alan, she, oh i'm sorry emily alan i one of the things that she's made me realize too is that because of the relate the bond they had formed Let's talk about what's going on. Then his father-in-law praises him. Moses is going to take his advice. If he had just jumped in and said, what in the world are you doing? Right. Moses wouldn't have listened to him. 100%. I, I would have been offended by it if he had listened to him. No, Sylvan. I like I liked the mutual respect um, that they had for each other. Moses was listening to his father-in-law, but his father-in-law was also listening to Moses and seeing what he was doing and thinking about how how they could they could problem solve this. And and as she was saying earlier about the generations working together, but a real important part of that is the generations respecting each other. Exactly. Definitely. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Definitely. And 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 I would I would show you something else. Um, if if we continue on to verse twelve, it says Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. And um. I'm doing this a little bit from uh, from memory, but there's several different kind of sacrifices in the Old Testament culture. You had the sin offering, where you've done something wrong and you sacrificed uh, two doves or whatever the thing was. But there were other kinds of sacrifices, and this was a community celebration sacrifice because Jethro wasn't um, coming with these these animals, whatever they were. Um, as a sin offering, he was bringing them as a fellowship offering. And it's it's appropriate that once the sacrifice has been made and the blood's been spilled, that then you sit down and have a big old barbecue together. 
Seb be more interested to know more about this sacrifice because everything you just mentioned hadn't even been instituted yet. Uh, in in the in the culture of Israel, they haven't even met God at Sinai yet. I'm kind of curious what kind of sacrifice was going on here. I don't know, and and we would have to do a study on the origins of each one. I could actually rattle them off from memory. Um, one's called the Chata. You know what? I'm just going. I've actually got the note here. I'll just pull it up real quick. Mm. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious, what did they know about God that they knew what was an acceptable sacrifice at this time? Here we go. found the document. It is my seminary Old Testament fall semester study guide. And I, uh, that's funny, I still have the thing sitting here. I hadn't thought about that, Gary. It's interesting. To... Well, I mean, we've seen sacrifices before. I yeah, mean, yeah, Abraham yeah. knew how to do it. Uh, Cain and Abel, I mean, they, one of them knew how to do it and the other one didn't. Uh, so we know that there's a long history of sacrifices. We just don't really have a record until a few chapters later of what God defined as an acceptable sacrifice for certain uh, events, certain festivals, certain sins. All right, here you go. So one kind of um, uh, offering is called the Ola offering. I mean, we're, we're way off on a tangent no, no. here. O-L-A. O-L-A-H. Okay. It's a whole burnt offering. And um, it, was, um, it was for the purpose of petition when you were going to ask God for something. Okay, so that's that's one. That's when okay. you're. Um, so when uh, Saul made a sacrifice before going into battle, before Samuel showed up, got in a bunch of trouble for it. That's what he yeah, was doing. He's he trying to do that. One. And what was would they be sacrificing? Um, a whole unblemished animal. Lamb. Oh, uh, lamb. any animal. Okay. But the bigger the animal, the more valuable the sacrifice. Oh, okay. Thank you. But um, another one was called the Zibak Shalman. I can send this to you if no, you're interested okay. in it. Um, and that's when, that, that was like the community barbecue. Um, it, it's uh, usually when something significant is happening, special person is coming. Um, there's there's something significant in progress. And I think that's, I think that's what's going on in verse 12. When Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, brought this burnt offering and sacrifices to God, because then, and this, this is why I raise it, I, I, I'm back on track. Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat the meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. And what I what I take from that is that now there's been an exchange, there's been some encouragement, there's been some affirmation, there's been the warm greeting, and now they're going to break bread together. And I would argue that each of the things that I'm listing now is an example of discipleship, that we're 
we're spending time together, we're offering encouragement to each other. And now we're gonna we're gonna sacrifice, which means we're gonna worship to they're gonna worship together. Then we're gonna have uh, when they came and ate the meal, that's the big old barbecue. That's after the sacrifice is over. And and here's here's where I want to go next. We get down to verse 13. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people. They're standing around. And when Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is this thing you're doing? And why are you alone sitting judge while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And, and I mentioned that. That's verse um, 14. 14. I mentioned that because, Nancy, you, you raised this a few minutes ago. You have to earn the right to speak into somebody's life and, and, and offer some helpful suggestions. I mean, if you walk up to a person on the street and go, hey, I just noticed a few things you've been doing wrong, right? They'll probably pull a gun on you. <laughs> but if you offer affirmation, you offer encouragement, you, you, you spend time in worship together, you break bread together, I think you've earned the right to say something to somebody who needs to hear it. And I think that's one of the most important things that I want to make sure I convey in the message on Sunday is that in my study of this text, I think that discipleship only comes out of close relationships. And I, and I draw a big distinction between discipleship and like something different, like street evangelism. See street evangelism. We've all walked past a street evangelist, right? What's the flavor We keep walking. <laughs> I mean, I came out of the last the Braves game a couple of weeks ago. This guy just going to town, and I thought, do I stop and spend time with this street evangelist? I'm, I'm already saved. He's already saved. I can I can let him continue his work. But but truthfully, a little there's something a little something in me that's like, uh, I don't I don't not tonight. You know that just. I just wasn't up for it. But I also think that sometimes those efforts aren't very effective because you haven't earned the right to speak into somebody's life if you're shouting at them on a megaphone as they walk by. And so I look at this and I think this is this is a passage that, that shows a, a pattern and a model for discipleship that makes sense to me. You speak into a younger man's life. You, 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 you take the steps that build trust that communicate, I'm on your side, we're, I'm, I'm with you. And then you exercise the, the privilege of speaking a little bit of truth that maybe was hard to hear. I mean, no young man wants an older man to come over and go, what are you doing and why are you doing it, right? But, <laughs> or do it differently. Or, yeah, yeah, here's what you need to do different. But Moses needed to hear it. What he was doing wasn't working. I mean, I've got to believe that if there's two million people, there's they're standing around thousand disputes every single day. Dude, do the math. It won't work. Yeah, it won't work. <laughs> you stand around all day long. People are waiting in long lines. Get up early. Come back tomorrow. No good. Jethro saw it. Offered it. And 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 to Moses's credit, verse twenty-four. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm going to testify. That's hard. <laughs> right? 
particularly if you've got a father-in-law that likes to tell you what you're doing wrong. I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying hypothetically. But Moses chose able men from all of Israel, made them leaders over the people. It's because Moses heeded the advice of a wiser, older man that had knowledge that everybody was better for it. And there's a lesson there for leaders to say, just because you're the leader doesn't mean you know everything. You don't have to know everything, but you have to have the humility to hear counsel from older, wiser men. Let me chase a rabbit here for a second. Do ask you a question. When he says what that verse? he was... What verse? Well, just in general, but somewhere around... I can't even read. What is that? Verse 19. I don't know here. <laughs> well, anyway, whenever he had a dispute, he had to decide at some point. The Ten Commandments don't come into play at least sequentially until chapter 20. But he had, it sounds to me like maybe he, the, he already had received the Ten Commandments or he, what was, I mean, how was he making decisions? Where are by you what, this what, by what code or what law? he's saying is the Ten Commandments didn't come till later, so right. whose code and law was he using? My footnote, not footnote, says that maybe that this all took place after he received the Ten Commandments. I don't know if that's true or not, but then have some kind of a basis of well, let me let me direct your attention. I, you're right. And let me direct your attention because there's something in here that gives us a clue. Look at verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 5. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, along uh, with Moses' wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. Oh, there you go. I think he was already at Sinai, mm -hmm, and yeah. I think this is a vignette of what happened at Sinai. Okay. Um, you know, and I, Sinai was such an extraordinary, I mean, it's on my bucket list of places that I want to visit. And I'm sure it doesn't look like I imagine, but there's a monastery there that I'd like to visit called St. Catherine's Monastery. And it's, it is, it is that monastery that deep in the archives, uh, 150 years ago, we found the oldest manuscript of the new testament in existence today wow it's called it's called codex sinaiticus and it dates uh 320 a.d and somebody was about to throw the thing away <laughs> when a uh as the as the as the as the legend goes one of the librarians was about to throw some things away when a German explorer named von Tichtendorf said, let me look at that before you throw it in the fire. And uh, he goes, I think this is really, really old. Can I take it with me and examine it? And they're like, mm, no. And so after a bunch of haggling and haranguing, they let him have a couple of fragments. He took them back to Germany and had got them, you know, some other people to look at it and sort of looked at it and go, these are really old just based on the way the paper was made and the type of ink they used. So he went back and he convinced them not to throw the rest of it away. 
And what they discovered was a, a complete New Testament dated at 320. Mm. And I just want to see that place. You know, I want to see the library, but I really want to see Mount Sinai. You know, God, God made a promise to Abraham that it, it was 500 years old at that point, that of you and your descendants, I'll make you a great nation. And, you know, some days I go, you know, why the experience in Egypt? The answer is because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't have enough people to, to conquer and populate the promised land. There was only a couple dozen of them. Mm. What you needed was about 2 million people. Which is what they brought out. Which of is what came. And so I look at the Exodus and I go, God is making good on a promise that was 600 years old in the making. And he told Abraham, you know, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And, and six, five, 600 years later, God raised up a leader who was capable understood the Egyptian culture, was able to talk to talk to the Pharaoh and, and lead his people through the release and wow. then convinced them all to take their belongings. And but but the people that gathered in front of Mount Sinai were slaves. They they they'd never governed, they'd never organized, they'd never put in a system of justice. They didn't have a code of laws to follow. They didn't really want the Egyptian system because that hadn't been working at all for them. And, and so God, God didn't just free people. He built a nation in front of Mount Sinai. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you, Alan. So I, I think it's one of the most amazing moments. You know, that and the Jordan River crossing. Mm. You know, because after walking around in the Sinai, they 40 years, God lines them up on the east side of the Jordan River. And again, parts the parts the waters. And in that moment, God made good on a promise that was a long time in the making. So, um, I'd like to circle back to Moses being the person that's these people are coming and getting direction from and and then dividing that up and then what strikes me is okay the 10 10 commandments came a little bit later um and it is in my head it's it's god saying okay y'all are making this real complicated let me just get you here here's the 10 pieces you know whenever you're looking at at a given situation which one of which ones of these apply and then go with that so it's really helping them bring it down to simple and what what are the basic rules and and how to approach living um rather than and and i think that's important to me because i can get really complicated and really figuring things out and and i need somebody to say Nope, 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 stop. You know, what are the basics here? Um, which I my favorite thing in the New Testament is 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 um the great commandment of of you know uh that that we're we're supposed to love God and love each other. I've heard it said that uh 
God instituted the standard of righteousness and nobody could figure out what that was. So then he gave them the law and they didn't follow it. <laughs> and so Jesus distilled it down into love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as himself. Jesus just broke. Jesus is like, all right, guys, this I'll, is it. I'll, just, I'll just give you two. Try, just try and do that. And the work of discipleship is how we how we communicate that to others. Last thoughts, everybody. Give me give me your big thought, your one thought from tonight. This isn't recapping what you said, but my my thought is, um, discipleship takes time with someone, and I stay too busy on the schedule of mundane things. I see in here that. And I've seen this happen a lot where God puts people in your life for a season uh, to point you and move you in a specific direction. And then, I mean, in the very last verse of this chapter, then Moses let his father-in-law depart and Jethro went away to his own country. So there he was. He had something to say. Then he left. So let him, let him lead. Mm -hmm. You know, leave, leave him alone. I mean, the leader has to... The elder has to let the leader lead, lest the elder be back in charge. Nicola, Emily, one last thought. Sylvan, what you got? Well, my thought is, um, the recap of this is, I want to be a disciple of Christ, and therefore I should disciple others. That's my recap. Yep. I'm, I'm still trying to think of my two people. <laughs> Good. So, have you heard anything since we started? <laughs> oh, I heard everything, Gary. But I, that's... I was just wondering. I mean, are you still? Is that how far? That had me back? puzzled. That had me puzzled, though, because I've just never given it that kind of thought. I mean, if I had to just answer right off the cuff, who is who am I looking to that is kind of poured into my life? That's not how Alan worded it, but that's what I recall. I, immediately, I think of Varian Spear. Oh, wow. Good one. That but now, I, I mean, I got three other people I need to come up with. Marion might count twice. I don't know. <laughs> Our first first lady. Well, the study of the Old Testament has been excellent. Thank you. I've enjoyed it tonight. Anybody else? Anybody else want a last word before we sign off? All right, friends. Well, I'm going to pray us out then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to open your word, to look into it, and to ask where you're at work and how we might join you there. God, I pray for the, the two people ahead of us and the two people behind us as we consider who we are inviting into our life for counsel and encouragement and advice and admonishment. And God, I pray for the, the two behind us that... Um, that we might be mindful of what their needs are and that we might come alongside with a word of encouragement and then a breaking of bread and then a time of worship and then a gentle correction where it's necessary and um, a, a closing word of encouragement as we depart. And so, Lord, I pray for those conversations and for those people. And I lift up this time before you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, yes. amen.